Empire podcast this week, we get physical as Miles Teller and Aaron Eckhart, stars of boxing movie Bleed for This, enter the pod booth. And yes, they will be duking it out to see whose interview runs first. All this and the usual movie news, reviews and nonsense on the only movie podcast that is seriously hoping that The Rock gets to be a musical performer at next year's Oscar ceremony. Hello, Pod. I'm Helen O'Hara and welcome to the Empire Podcast. And yes, once again, I'm stepping in for Chris Hewitt, who has been removed from the booth and indeed the country after last week's shenanigans. And he's been told to think about what he's done. Uh, Some of you may have noticed that we've been tag teaming for the past few weeks actually and wondered if there was some reason that you no longer hear the two Northern Irish people in the same room at the same time but just to assure you the rumours that he is my alter ego the result of a Dr Jekyll and Mr Hyde style experiment that went (laughs) catastrophically wrong and that we have finally stabilised the process so we no longer compete for the same air but take turns those are completely unfounded, okay? Um, I just want to clear that up. So uh, so instead of my Protestant alter ego this week, uh, I'm joined by two colleagues of such lethal cunning. First up is a man who I personally hold co-responsible for what happened last week in my absence. Uh, ring your bell and say shame. It's John Nugent. <laughs> Hello. I personally hold responsible at Farting Skittles for coming up with that. <laughs> human centipede related question I mean when when you try to shift the blame to someone called at farting skittles it doesn't <laughs> I'm, can I just jump in here I wasn't on the podcast last week so just to be clear there were farting skittles and a human centipede situation no, no the, the, the question came we from should... someone called farting skittles it was oh, at farting skittles this, this, was this which member of the MCU yes, would thank you, you be in please a... thank you yes. I, uh, I, Chris told me about this after the podcast and my answer would have been the vision because he can turn insubstantial <laughs> huh? Huh? that's I've a really good through. answer I've thought this that's through that's a really good answer how are we letting this happen again <laughs> anyway. I'm really sorry mum again she, she, <sighs> she has not googled human centipede by the way so good she so Thanks, John. She's oblivious. Please continue oblivious. Um, You've already heard him, but uh, we also welcome today the controller of all things digital, Empire's long suffering, um, I'm sorry, that should say long serving (laughs) online boss, James Dyer. Hello. Hi. (laughs) That's a little too close for home, wasn't it? A little bit, a little bit. It still hurts. Okay, so uh, let's get going. Time for a question. Um, at Patworth Amy asks, can Helen promise not to leave the pod again? Why is Chris always naked? Is John's voice real? And when will you do a live pod? Okay, wow. uh, one at a time. I can't promise I'll never leave the pod again because what if something cool happens on a Thursday and I want to do that instead? Um, why is Chris always naked? I mean, your guess is as good as ours. Do we have any thoughts on this? I mean, I don't know. We spoke to HR about we it. We have, that's like, repeatedly. Do. Hannah, do you remember Naked News? I do remember Naked News. Maybe that's what started it. Perhaps that's what it was. Just for all the listeners reading, we used to have a thing where back when MSN was a thing, uh, Chris, Helen, I would say Sam and I, Mm -hmm. a few of us, uh, we would do news for the website at home before coming into work. And the running thing was none of us would get dressed before we did it. So we'd call it Naked News. So we'd all be like sitting there naked doing news in the house. To be clear, I was not naked in the house. Yeah, you say that now. Well, yeah, that's Uh, true. Bear in mind, this was before Google Hangouts. There There was no video conference. There was no video conference. Of any kind. (laughs) But yes, maybe you're right. Maybe that sort of eroded his barrier against nudity in the workplace. Hmm, That was a mistake. Um, Is John's voice real? John? Uh, I mean, I think it's real. I don't know. Is it not real? Does it not sound real? The only feedback I've ever had from an Empire podcast on our SoundCloud page was, please send someone else to do interviews because John Nugent does not sound like a real person. (laughs) Maybe it's I didn't know what to make of that. I don't know. Do I not sound real? Yeah, it, m- maybe they think you sound like some kind of Muppet or something, you know, like a, like it's a comedy, <laughs> like, like you're a Henson creation. 
I tell you what, if you if you have trouble listening to my voice, you, you should try being me having to edit your own voice <laughs> oh, every that is week. Hellish. That yeah. is, is it's the slowest form of torture having to listen to your voice like repeatedly over and over again every week. It's horrible. I'm yeah. so sorry for your loss. <laughs> Troubles. <laughs> um, when will you do a live pod? Uh, I mean, look, this is number uh, 240 of the pod. We tend to do them every 50th pod if possible. So you might draw some conclusions from that. But in fact, nothing has been set in stone yet. So we shall see. Who knows? It will happen again. It must happen again. (laughs) It cannot be stopped. I've never done one of the live ones. I might might try that next time. It would go horribly wrong. Lives would be lost. Maybe I shouldn't. Probably lives would be lost. You you did uh, timekeep for us. Oh, that's right. Yes, I produced the first one and I held up offensive signs whenever I disagreed with what you were saying. That's Um, right, you did. But I mean, that's par for the course. Good times. Um, Okay, uh, I've got a couple more questions down. They're both very short, so we're going to take them fairly quickly. Um, At Simon909 says, best performance by an animal in 2016? The bear. The bear in The Revenant? Yes. Okay. That's that's it. That's all I've got. I mean, that was really just a man in a green suit, wasn't it? This coming from someone else who isn't real. (laughs) (laughs) You're just a man in a green suit. That is true. He's am actually I, wearing green. Am I, my motion capturing yeah. my my podcast. You're a mocap journalist. <laughs> that's that's a very strange insult. Yeah, the guys at NPC add you in later. It's fine. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I know the correct answer for this. Oh, okay. It's the dog in Patterson. That's exactly what I was going to say. It really is. It, it really is. It really is. Now she already won the Pam Dog at Cannes yes. this year, which is a thing that yeah. exists. Um, and uh, and sadly, she died before the ceremony. Did you know this? She yeah. actually died. She's yeah. she, and she she was playing a man to begin with, so it was a, an impressive sort of cross gender performance. Um, <laughs> but uh, I say man, I mean male dog. Um, <laughs> but yeah, she died before her, she could receive her kudos. So like a, a posthumous palm dog. It was a posthumous palm wow. dog. Yeah. So no love for a street cat named Bob, which lest we forget gets top billing. Um, well, yeah. I mean, sure, it's fine, I guess. But cats, I mean, come on. If we were going for cats, it would be Keanu. Oh, yeah, no, fair enough, fair enough. My favourite performance by an animal, I think, was the Niffler. The Niffler was Mm. good, yeah. Well, I mean, if we're going for not not real Again, with the hypocrisy. (laughs) (laughs) uh, My vote would be the otters in Finding Dory. You and Finding Dory. No, but they were good, though. Those otters are so cute. I'm going to say no to the otters and yes to the sea lions. Sea lions, yeah, yeah. The sea lions were pretty good. Idris Elba, yeah, yeah. I also, I mean, it's not quite a film, but I really like uh, the iguanas in Planet Earth too. Oh, I mean, I think, yeah, we would all give them the the win. That was that was as exciting as any film I've ever seen. Did did was it in was it in Planet Earth the swimming sloth? Was that Planet Earth? That was yeah. That that was the first. I saw that and it was. It was like a tranquilizer. It was amazing. <laughs> Just in case anyone here hasn't done it, go onto YouTube and search for Bucket of Sloths. It will improve your day immeasurably. <laughs> wow, this is very uh, Kristen Bell suddenly. Uh, yeah, she's a huge yeah. sloth fan. She's obsessed. Um, I imagine she spends all day looking at the Bucket of Sloths. Bucket, and, and indeed, that clip from Planet Earth mm. too. But also, speaking of uh, Zootopia slash Zootropolis, yeah. the sloth in that was one of my favourite oh, things yeah. of the year. Yeah, Flash. Really, really funny. Yeah. Who was it? I think it was maybe Robbie Collin at The Telegraph who tweeted that Judy Hopps from Zootopia slash Zootropolis was added to his list of weird animated I- crushes. I know. Okay. I, I mean, I, I put up a poll on Twitter yesterday, actually, which was the unlikely sex symbols of 2016, like the ones you didn't see coming. And um, 
and I thought the winner, you know, would be my personal choice, which is Marty Barron from Spotlight. And in fact, one someone who did better than him by quite some margin uh, is Nick from really? Zootropolis. The Zootopia. fox. He is the a fox. fox. He is a fox. Mm. I mean, you can't really argue with that. Um, the winner by a country mile. Now, this was the man fanciers edition of the unexe- uh, unexpected sex symbols of 2016. Um, and the winner by a runaway margin, last I looked, was uh, Holtzman from Ghostbusters. So... I think the Kinsey scale has, has well and truly <laughs> taken a kicking this year. Wow! Yeah, I mean those are all those are all solid choices. But I mean, you know, Nick is not a real thing. Again, we're, we're sort of blurring <laughs> the lines of reality and, and fiction. I mean, he he's tell made us pixels. about that, John. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> or the person currently doing the voice of John. I'm an existential crisis here. Oh, Don't even know who I am. Composited in later. Who am I? <laughs> But yeah, I mean, let's face it, the correct answer is Nelly, yes, the dog from Patterson. Absolutely. So, yeah. And, and it also allows me to say, because I wasn't here last week, Patterson's freaking incredible and you should definitely go see it. Yes. Which makes me yeah, feel yeah. better. Absolutely. All right. Uh, another quick question here uh, from Veronelle. Any Hollywood remake of a European movie that is better than the original? This is an interesting one. Mm. The, the first that springs to mind for me is Let Me In. Which is the yeah, the yeah, remake yeah. of Let the Right One In? It's not you better think than the original. Better? It's not I even th- close. I, I think I think it is better. I th- they're both. What, it's interesting because they both have sort of different things to offer, and they're both excellent in their own ways. Oh. I th- I think the American is slightly better, despite the current political climate. I support your right to be wrong on that particular issue. <laughs> Thanks. Um, Some like it hot is based on a French film, nineteen thirty. Sure. French film. Oh, okay, that's the winner then. Fanfare of Love. So you know. Yeah. Mic drop. Um, but there's loads of them. In fact, handily, there's a Wikipedia page <gasps> dedicated to this very oh, subject. Amazing. Um, I, admittedly, it's rubbish, but I really like The Birdcage, which is obviously based on La Cage au Folle. Cage au Folle, yeah. Um, I also like uh, The Nutty Professor, which is obviously based on whatever the French is for the absent-minded professor. Summers Three B, Men and a Baby ah, yes, was indeed. based on... Trois hommes, Trois et, hommes un bébé. et un bébé. Yes, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, Trois hommes et un coiffin. Quoi 1985. Oh, it was only two years before Three Men and a Baby came before out. Before Leonard Nimoy. By the way, I watched For the Love of Spock on a plane recently, and mm. it's delightful. I heard that. Yes. It is. Made by his son, isn't it? Made by his son. Mm. Really warm-hearted. Um, the only thing is, if you're on a plane and they're showing For the Love of Spock, do be aware that you cry more at altitude, right? <laughs> is that right? And, and it, <laughs> has, made that up. it has clipped. Well, I certainly do. I'm, I'm much more susceptible to crying at movies on planes. And so I'm this isn't scientific. Like, you literally no. made this up. Well, no, but like other <laughs> other people have said it to me as well. But um, they show clips from The Wrath of Khan during For the Love of Spock, and they show that scene. Oh. So, I mean, I was dehydrated for days. And always will be, my friend. <laughs> I never faced the Kobayashi and Murray situation until now. What do you think of my solution? <laughs> the bit that gets me is when he's doing the eulogy and he goes, of all the souls, his was the most human. Yeah, <laughs> and you're just like, oh god, and the quiet little no at the end of the scene. Oh, oh. my goodness! But back to the question. Yeah, I have just discovered, and again, this is my new mic drop. La Totale, a 1991 French film, became True Lies. Mm. Oh, well, also, yeah. 1962's La Jetée became Twelve Monkeys. Yeah, that's pretty good, but it's not as good as some like a hot. Let's be real here. Come yeah, on. okay. I'll give you that. Um, Miss Ripley is based on a French film as well. Um, or is it French or is it German? I think it's French. Uh, but it's not a great film, so, you know. It's a pretty good film. Like, it's a very solid film. Okay. Die Trap Family, 1956, The Sound of Music. 
You're just reading off a Wikipedia page I am page literally now, reading <laughs> off a Wikipedia page. I'm just saying, Stop I didn't know that. Pretend that you have amazing knowledge. Yeah, I, I, I have Wikipedia in my brain. Uh, the 13th Floor, did anyone ever see that? Straight to video film? Yeah. No. Uh, theme tune by the Cardigans? Well, no. that was based on a German film. This has wow. perhaps become less interesting than it began. Listen, listen, let's just agree that the correct answer to both questions, the correct answer to the first question is Nelly, the correct answer to the second question is Some yeah. Like It Hot. Agreed. Or, or also Scent of a Woman, I've just thought. Scent of a Woman is based on an Italian film, the name of which I can't remember, but it is. Okay, but Some Like It Hot is better than Scent of a Woman, what? therefore Some better Like It Hot is, is the answer, therefore we're moving on. Okay. Okay, um, time for a guest, I think. And it looks like the younger guy with the stretchy superpowers won our boxing match to determine which of our guests would go first. Yes, it's Miles Teller who's the star of this week's Boxing Drama Bleed for this. Um, that's the unbelievable true story of Vinny Pazienza, who was a world champion boxer, I think junior middleweight level. Um, and he broke his neck in a car accident, was told he might never walk again. And instead, he trained through his recovery period to not only walk, but take up boxing again, uh, which is, uh, well, quite frankly, possibly insane. Um, and this is essentially how Million Dollar Baby should have ended. <laughs> yeah, it kind of is, actually. Um, so Teller, of course, builds on his Project X success here. I'm sorry, that should read Whiplash success and delivers a heck of a performance. It's incredibly impressive. And here's what he had to say when we sent John along to talk to him. Miles Teller, welcome to the Empire Podcast. How are you, sir? I'm great. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. You're in town to talk about Bleed for This? Yes. Uh, this is a movie where you play a boxer. Vinny, I've got to get this pronunciation, Pan- Pazienza? Pazienza. Pazienza. Yeah. Don't worry, J- Jay Leno messed it up when he had... Oh, really? Uh, yeah, at the end of the movie, or not at the end of the movie, but Vinny was on Jay, or on Jay Leno, and Leno introduced him, messed it up, so... You, the first time we see you in this movie, uh, you're wearing, I think, what can only be described as... A sort of leopard skin banana hammock. Thong, yeah. Be fair to say, what? Yeah. Describe that day on set for me. Like, do you feel vulnerable? Uh, Sort of costume. You know, I for me actually that day was like I knew, you know, I knew that when that scene was coming up. A, I knew that just weight wise, that's we're showing Vinny at like his lightest weight in the movie. So I knew, you know, body fat wise and everything, I was gonna look like as kind of toned up as as I was going to. I mean, I didn't use, like, oil and all these tricks that these guys do, but, you know, to me, in that scene, you're getting the essence of Vinny. Yeah. And Vinny enjoyed being Vinny. Vinny enjoys being Vinny. He's still alive and, and of sound mind and, and body. So, so yeah, I, I actually kind of, like, enjoyed it because I know for him, he loved that stuff. Right. He just loved... He, he really you know, admired like Muhammad Ali, these guys that were able to sell a fight and do the talk yeah. and kind of have a beauty with their words. And, you know, he, he enjoyed it. So I was, I was looking forward to it, but yeah, you want to make sure everything's squared away. Vinny, it's funny you say banana hammock because Vinny sent me, uh, was, when he found out I was playing him, he, he sent me a postage in the mail yeah. and it was a signed headshot of himself. Okay. And he said, miles, uh, put a banana in your undies if you have to make it look bigger. <laughs> don't ruin my reputation, kid. No joke. Seriously, don't fuck it up. Five-time Vinny Paz. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it had to be on a signed photo as well. Like, you couldn't just send that message in an email. And- yeah, that, yeah. Vinny's, uh, you know, he's great, man. He's such a character, and yeah. what he was able to accomplish uh, is... You know, it's it's incredible. If it wasn't a, if we didn't tell you it was a true story, I don't think people would have believed that right. this guy came back from this. You you mentioned at the start, like you start off 
the movie is a is it super lightweight? Uh, it's just lightweight. Just, just lightweight, and then you move up. You move three classes yeah. in weights. So how do you go about sort of portraying that in a movie, especially if it's like it's quite a short shoot, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. I mean, most most box movies that people have seen, they just imagine they had you know ten times the budget we had, uh, minimum five times the budget we had. We you know we shot this movie for like six million bucks in twenty five days, right. which is kind of like unheard of, or it is unheard of for a for a boxing film. Um, and then yeah, we had the weight gain. So I. For the first fight in the movie, I was 168 pounds. Yeah, 6% body fat. And then we had to move up in weight. So I went from 168 to, um, for the last fight in the movie, I was 183 pounds. And I think those fights were about two weeks in between, about two weeks. So I, I had to put on, you know, 15 pounds. Wow. Yeah. Uh, But I was happy for that. Yeah. Losing weight sucks. Yeah. Gaining weight, especially when you're in a town like Providence, which is a very has a very strong Italian influence, right. you know, pasta and all that bread and all that good <laughs> stuff. I was finally able to like taste those foods again. Yeah. How were you as a boxer then? Did you do much sparring? Did you take any any punches at all? Yeah, you're gonna I mean box you know, boxing even it's not it's not MMA. Like MMA, mm. the gloves are really light and you know, you're just not taking as many hits as you are in a 12 round boxing match. Right. So boxing, even when you're, you know, you have to take punishment to give punishment. And all the boxers that I fight against in the movie, they're all real boxers. They're not actors. The one dude, Edwin Rodriguez, he's a, uh, he he was a, I don't know what he is now, but he was a top 10 boxer. He had just had a fight like the week or two days before and then flew down and I was training with him and we had to teach him like all new numbers and stuff. But yeah, even when you're quote unquote blocking a punch. Yeah. It still hurts, dude. Yeah, like you're yeah. you're still taking, you know, taking some punishment. But yeah. no, I didn't get nothing too bad. But yeah, you take your, you know, you earn it. Vinny is involved in a pretty serious car accident in the movie. And yeah, you you were involved in a car accident as well. Yeah, in real life. Yeah, real life. I got in a when I was 20 years old. I got in a car accident where my buddy lost control of our car going like 80 miles per hour, and we flipped eight times, and I flew out the window. Wow. Uh, so really serious car accident. I blacked out for a lot of it, so I don't, you know, I don't really remember too much. But and then I had a lot of casting directors because this was before I was a professional actor, and when I was trying to book work, and I had all these casting directors telling my agent that, yeah, Miles is a good actor, but it doesn't make sense for the character to have, you know, scars. So it was something that, you know, I had to deal with that. Uh, you know, deal with all these people telling me that, you know, might not, might not work out. You might have to play a character that narratively, we understand why he has these scars. Yeah, the, f the first movie I did, uh, Rabbit Hole, yeah. with John Cameron Mitchell, the director, he, you know, wonderful, independent, creative artist, and he loved my scars. <laughs> he was like, oh, I love it. It tells a story. It gives your character this history and this mystery. Right. And so, yeah, he was really the first first person to kind of see through him. Yeah. And obviously on uh, on Rabbit Hole, you work with Aaron Eckhart, yeah. who you, you've now worked with again on, on Bleed for This. Yeah. Um, we I re remember reading you were quite starstruck on Rabbit Hole. Oh, for uh, sure, yeah. There was no rehearsal. Yeah. Uh, I was literally, I just graduated college two weeks before. Wow. So I, I'm on set. It's the first film set. I did a guest star on a TV show, but it was like the first film set I'd ever been on. Yeah. And there was no rehearsal. I actually met Aaron... On action, on action, he came into the scene, yeah. and the scene, his guys, his character is really pissed off because I've killed his kid in a car accident, yeah. even though it's accidental. Nicole Kidman's looking for closure. Aaron's character is just pretty pissed off at me, 
and the director told him to go off book and just ad lib and just scare the shit out of me because he told Aaron it was my first film and it was my first scene <laughs> and he really just wanted to get a reaction out of me. Yeah. But he's yelling at me and I just remember sitting there in my head just smiling because Aaron's such a good actor and I'd just seen Batman and I was like, oh man, here's Harvey Dent right. and there's Nicole Kidman and this is so cool and then I hear cut. I'm like, Oh my God, what just happened? <laughs> so it was that, was, that was very much like an, like an out-of-body experience. Yeah, and so cut to, what, five or six years later, yeah. and you're working with him again. Yeah. Uh, I mean, have the tables turned now? Is he starstruck with you? Like, is it's a different experience? Yeah, he is. Aaron Eckhart's uh, intimidated by me Quite right, as yeah. an actor. Uh, no, <laughs> this was just cool because, you know, the the relationship between fighter and trainer is is so sacred um this guy the trainer for a fighter is you know he's like a he's like a life coach but he's also a lot of the time that guy's father figure um he's their you know nutritionist he's their you know their trainer he's all these things and that guy that that relationship is is so important and in real life kevin rooney the part that, you know, Aaron Eckhart plays Kevin Rooney. In real life, Kevin Rooney has dementia, and he's been in the hospital for the last 10 years. And he still, his son told us that he still to this day talks about uh, Vinny and Tyson mm. because those guys are just so close to him. Yeah. In real life, you know, Rooney, yeah, Rooney moved into Vinny's house when he was training them. They lived together. Yeah. It's a beautiful relationship. I, what I found was really interesting is there's some sort of slight in, uh, similarities between this movie and Whiplash. I mean, they're obviously very different stories, but there's a similar sort of intensity to them. There's a similar... Whiplash is almost like a, a sports movie um, leading to a sort of big conclusion. Is there something about that sort of intense story that attracts you to a, a role? I mean, I th I think you just want to do... You know, you just want to have the opportunity to to tell good stories and both Whiplash and Bleed for This, as far as scripts went, I just felt like we're really good, uh, really good scripts. Uh, but yeah, I mean, when I was in college and I was doing scenes and stuff, and we always got to pick our own scenes, I wouldn't pick a scene where it was just me kind of like flirting with a girl at a bar. Right. No, I would do the scene where it was like intense and stuff was happening. And yeah. I think, you know, a lot of the, the great actors that I enjoy watching, I, I yeah, I love intense dramatic actors or guys that'll you know aren't afraid to be like ugly on screen they don't right. care about vanity it's just about like you know getting into it with your other actor yeah. and yeah i i enjoy i i enjoy that stuff and it's, it's been a couple of years since whiplash and people are still sort of talking about it do, yeah. do you get the impression this is one of those movies that has that sort of enduring uh spirit to it yeah well I, yeah i think whiplash was was pretty special for me just from a production aspect, the fact that, you know, we made that movie in 19 days wow. for like $3 million. Yeah. And I didn't realize how rare that is until I, you know, have been working at this point and 19 days is like I I impossible to make a movie and let, let alone a movie that, that kind of looks, looks the way it does. And, you know, we started at Sundance and nobody knew anything about it and then went all the way to get nominated for best picture. So yeah, it holds a special place in my heart, but when you're making the movie, you have no idea. Yeah. Like, when I was making the movie, I had no idea that I was working with a guy who was going to win the Oscar. Right. I didn't know I was working on, like, a Best Picture-nominated film. Yeah. It, it, so many things have to happen for that for a movie to make that journey. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it was, it was a great ride to be a part of. Yeah. 
I, I just wanted to ask very briefly about uh, Damien Chazelle's next movie, La La Land, which yeah. I understand you were attached to at one point. Yeah. What happened there? Are you, do you have any sort of regrets that you're not involved? Uh, no, not at all. I mean, I'm, I'm happy for... Uh, uh, you know, I think both La La Land and Bleed for This are having, you know, nice nice moments right now. Yeah. There, I don't, I don't have any, you know, regrets uh, about uh, about it. Um, just the only thing that, and I don't, I don't like to talk about it too much, just because, you know, there's a lot of things that happen before a movie gets made, while you're making a movie, after a movie gets made. And I, I just feel like those are, are personal um, kind of things, but just the whole the whole me turning down the movie after I was offered four million dollars is complete bullshit. Right. Okay. Um, and then it gets you know these publications print things just so people will read their article and then they say an unnamed source said this and yeah. it's uh, all that's bullshit. But but yeah, I'm you know I'm 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 happy for for them and. I think you just want to be a part of quality movies, and I think we have that with Bleed for This, and they have that with La La Land. So you just want to contribute, you know, quality products to this uh, to this business. Yeah, awesome. Well, I think that's all the time we have. Cool. Uh, hey, Miles. Good luck with the film. Thank, Thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. All right, that was good. Nice guy. Yeah. Interesting fella. He is. He's got a bit of a, a bad reputation for being a bit sort of spiky, or you know, there was that article in GQ was Esquire, it? I think. Esquire, yeah. which did not paint him in a good light. And I think he's sort of he's trying to turn his image around a little bit. Mm. And he's, yeah, he seemed very nice to me. He awesome. was very friendly. But it helps that you're, you know, imaginary. I, yeah. I mean, he was just talking to a, a tennis ball on a stick, so yeah. it was it was it was fairly easy for him. It's pretty straightforward. Yeah. He's used yeah. to it. Yeah. Uh, so let's move on to movie news, and we start with possibly the most exciting news there has ever been in the history of the world. Carjack, carjack! I want to carjack your news story. No, I want to carjack, and I'm and I'm I'm exerting executive authority in that I introduced you to the books. You did. Therefore, this th- therefore I get to do it. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you do that, but I'm gonna tell you where you were when you introduced me to the books. James was on honeymoon. Yeah. And I got a text one day yeah. saying, "Put down whatever you're doing and go and buy this particular book." James is about to talk yep. about because it's great. In fairness, all of that was true. It was. Um, these are, in fact, the King Killer Chronicles, which are Patrick Rothfuss's fantasy uh, novels, and they are being now essentially co-adapted by Helen's once and future husband, uh, Lin Manuel Miranda. My love is pure. He's yeah. not my husband. Uh, which is amazing news. I don't know if well, people probably don't know, but Lin Manuel Miranda. I've never seen or indeed heard Hamilton, but I love him for many reasons. And one is because he flirts with Patrick Rothfuss endlessly on Twitter, and also he bangs on about the West Wing endlessly on Twitter. Yeah. So I think if anyone's going to marry him, it really should be me. Um, <laughs> but um, so these these books uh, they start with the name of the wind. Uh, the second book, uh, which is uh, Wise, Man's Wise Man's Fear, Fear, has been out for several years. We've been waiting for uh, the Doors of Stone for. A long time. He's not the most prolific writer um, because he, I mean, he lectures. I mean, he has a day job as well. Um, and in my personal view, he and George R. R. Martin are the current fantasy heavyweights. And everyone knows who George R. R. Martin is because of Game of Thrones, and no one knows who Patrick Rothfuss is. Uh, but the Kingkiller Chronicles are fantastic. Uh, they are frankly about live gigs and student loans. Um, that yeah. is essentially the theme <laughs> essentially. of the novels. But it's much more exciting than that. It's about. Um, 
a young man named Kvothe, and there's a framing device where he's telling his story to, for want of a better term, a journalist. Um, and uh, he is a kind of a, he's an Adamaru, he's a sort of a traveling sort of gypsy musician, and his family gets killed, and he wants to go to the university in capitals. And he gets in there, can barely afford it, and he studies magic, and the magic is fantastically rendered. It's all to do with sympathy, where you attach objects to other objects. It's almost like voodoo magic. It's really clever, and using this incredibly gifted musician, and he does lots of live performances um, it's really really hard to convey how good it is by describing it because it's not as epic or dynastic as Game of Thrones no. it's not as bloody or dark but the characters but though the characters are amazing and and this is what Miranda said he he said that the he'd never heard anyone or read anyone write so convincingly or passionately about the act of creating music and it just really moved him because you just feel Rothfuss's love of music coming off the page mm. and I think that's what, what drew him to it and so I can only imagine what he's going to do with this. And also for those of you who have listened to Hamilton um, the story of tonight uh, which is one of the great songs, Raise a Glass to Freedom and all that uh, was kind of inspired by the feeling of these nights at the music club yeah. in in the name of the wind so he's already there's the, the inspiration is already going, kind of going both ways and they basically just love each other and I'm super excited to see what they come up with here it's going to be and they, so it's films they're going to make films is the yep. idea with perhaps a companion TV series I read uh, which is fascinating because there have been a couple of novellas uh, that take place elsewhere within this universe but really it's it's mainly these three books which are him re- recounting his life story but uh, if you haven't read The Name of the Wind go read it now whether yeah. you're on honeymoon or not pick it up <laughs> read it love it and uh, I should also say like if you're a, if you're like a Scott Lynch fan he's the other one I'd put on this sort of level with Rothfuss mm. maybe because I read them around the same time it's 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 got some of that kind of feel to it as well, well it's Scott really Lynch's stuff was optioned I want to say like nearly 15 odd years ago I mean it's a long time yeah. ago and no one's ever done anything with it uh, and it's his stuff is much like the sting you know it's kind of like a hustle it's like yeah. it's that kind of con artistry sort of lovable rogues things and that's really good fantasy as well it is so you know so it. yeah get after it when is Lin-Manuel Miranda going to find the time to do this because he's got so much on now I mean he's is he is he in the London version of Hamilton is he going to be performing in that no but also maybe possibly at some point for a little okay. while but he'll probably only do like a month or two and he's, he's not going to announce when he's going to do it he's not necessarily uh, right. going to be the first Hamilton there but he might come in for a month at some point so okay. you don't know when you get your tickets um uh, he's also got obviously uh, Mary Poppins yes. he's obviously also got The Little Mermaid yes. he's obviously still launching Moana yes. um, uh, but you know he writes like he's running out of time so it's fine that was a Hamilton lyric I, I guys, thought it yeah. might be <laughs> do I sense bitterness John because he is better friends with The Rock than you are he is not we, we are similarly <laughs> we, uh, shut up <laughs> well I think that we're, was a we're best friends a com- compelling comeback there um <laughs> So there was some uh, Star Trek Discovery casting this week as well, which is rather exciting. What can you tell me about that? Uh, This is Doug Jones, Michelle Yeoh and... Uh, Anthony Rapp. That's right. So Rapp is obviously... uh, Rapp. Rapp is also, is probably best known as one of the original cast of Rent. So he's a bigger star on Broadway probably than Mm. he is in film. He's done some films, but bigger on sort of stage. Um, And... uh, and obviously Doug Jones, sort of Guillermo del Toro's muse, if you will, certainly yeah. the prosthetics expert. Um, and he will indeed be playing some kind of alien species that we haven't seen before. So, you know, prepare yourself for some more latex, Doug. Uh, good luck with that. And Michelle Yeoh is a captain, which feels instantly right. Yes. Yes. She will be awesome. Uh, maybe not captain. Am I right, commander? She's senior. 
a senior person. A flag captain, officer. Captain. Captain. Yeah. I don't know. So that's the important part. So, um, yeah, it's shaping up rather well. I mean, obviously, um, we were originally expecting Brian Fuller to do this, which was which was uh, a positive yes. thing. And he had to step out because of clashes with American gods. Um, but I, I still think, you know, the signs are good for this one. I'm really excited to see Star Trek back on the small screen. So am I, like, really excited about it. It's not, I mean, it's funny. The only thing that bugs me about it is the timeline. It's like, it's like, I don't, that's an area of, of Star Trek time that I, I'm just, I'm done with. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's fine, but we've spent a lot of time there. Deep Space Nine ended a little bit cliffhangery, unresolved. I want to know what happened to Cisco. I want to pick up where that finished. This is where I want to be. If anyone's listening, please make that serious. Okay. That would be good. Hello, Paramount TV. Please get in touch. Um, Sticking with TV, there's also been news. Uh, this is very James-centric this week. We've had Patrick <laughs> Rothfuss, Star Trek, and now The Vampire Chronicles. Hooray! Um, which is headed to the small screen. Yes, the rights have reverted to Anne Rice because she hasn't had them for quite a while. Um, and she's now, I think, co-developing a TV series which is going to focus on Lestat as a character. So it won't recount Interview with the Vampire. It will kind of begin with The Vampire Lestat, which takes place before... Kind of because interview the vampire is framed, you know, but it takes yeah. place later. Uh, and the vampire Lestat, so it's all about Lestat and how he becomes a well a rock star. Let's be honest. Um, <laughs> yeah, they're really really good books. I mean the the second film based on them, Queen of the Damned, was dreadful. I love Interview with the Vampire. I think it's really really good. Anne Rice was very very vocal uh, in her objections to Neil Jordan's film principally the casting of Tom Cruise. However, she walked it all back when she saw the film. Yeah. And I think it's understandable. He isn't the Lestat she wrote about, but he's extraordinarily good as the movie version of that character. Um, I really, really like that film, and I'd be really interested to see what she what she manages to do with this TV series. I mean, she sees it as a kind of, you know, I mean, everyone says it's the new Game of Thrones. She sees it as that kind of compelling, literary-based, you know, cable-centric drama. Um but it could be very, very good. She's written so many of those vampire books, and some of them are amazing, and others of them <laughs> are, are not. not. Um, and they went off the boil at one point. Then she wrapped the whole thing up, and now she's kind of come back to them. And then the current one, I think, is it's something like Lestat and the Fate of Atlantis or something. It's, it's no. A, no, it is something like that. Um, so, I, and I haven't read it, so I can't, I can't comment on it. But uh, the standalone individual books which you would take an individual vampire and just take them in isolation it would be their history those were often quite fascinating mm. um and my favorite book of all of them weirdly is one of the ones that wasn't very popular was memnock the devil where lestat meets satan uh who's terribly misunderstood uh and they have a whole back and forth and it's just a dialogue between the two of those and a storytelling thing it's a it's an interesting bit of writing it's a weird thing. It's, so lestat i really liked interview with the vampire loved it as a film i read all the book well i read like three or four books mm. anyway I didn't read all of them there's so many there are so many um, but it's kind of interesting because it's one of those things I feel like nowadays if you write a baddie and the baddie is is a popular baddie there will inevitably be something explaining why the baddie isn't all that bad yeah. and I'm getting a little bit tired of it and yeah. so I'm a bit that's my only slight kind of worry about this because Lestat wasn't the good guy in Interview with the Vampire and then suddenly he you know he transformed. But he was morally ambiguous. I don't think he was ever a flat-out villain. Because let's be honest, it's like he gave Louis the choice. He didn't force him to become a vampire. He offered him something. It was accepted. And then he tried his best to... The whole thing, the whole thing's about moral ambiguity and, you know, vampire eroticism. Um, <laughs> but he does. He becomes more demonstrably a, a, a kind of a face rather than a heel 
in the vampire stuff. Yeah, because because it turns out, oh, he was only killing bad people to begin with, and actually he never killed yeah. an innocent, and blah, blah, blah. Retcon, retcon, know. retcon. Retcon, retcon. <laughs> I mean, anyway. But, uh, yeah. Anyway, I'm, I'm excited to see what they do with this, because I do think that the, the vampires are fascinating, and her world is fascinating, mm. and it could be great, or it could be, you know, the originals. <laughs> yeah, let's let's hope it's not that. Although, like the Vampire Diaries is into its what eighth or ninth season now, so there's clearly an appetite for this stuff. Although, I suspect the people who like the Vampire Diaries maybe won't like this in the same way. Oh, you never know. We shall see. Um, but there's there's one other thing. Just randomly, did anyone see the trailer for the Belco experiment, which went online this no. morning? Just this morning, right? Yeah, which was it's uh, it was one of James Gunn's scripts. Um, and I, I must admit, I didn't really know anything about it. But I really like the trailer. So the kind of setting is, uh, I guess it's a near future thing. And they all work for this sort of in an office, which looks a little bit like, you know, the office from The Office. Um, and it's a non-profit organisation. And one morning, uh, steel shutters go over the windows and the tannoy announces that each one of them must kill three of the others or they'll kill a load of them because they've all got explosives in their heads. Um, and so it turns into a great big Lord of the Flies s butcher each other Hunger Gamesy battle royale <laughs> in the office, uh, oh. which is almost certainly where Gervais and Merchant were going had they been renewed for another <laughs> season. Um, and it's not entirely dissimilar to Monday Morning and Empire. So very um, similar, actually. So yeah, yeah there was there was it gave me a warm tingly feeling. I want to see that. That's good. Okay, <laughs> warm tingly feeling. Yeah, you know. Well, that's the sort of like a. An optimistic future for you. Well, I always think, and I maintain this, that were this situation to happen, I would absolutely win. So, <laughs> all that, all that uh, martial arts training finally comes in useful. Huh? As I'd go down to the store and unpack the several swords that I have down there. You know, which is actually true. You think he's joking, no, but he really no, isn't. I have, a, I have a gladius down there, which was a prop from Spartacus the TV series. I have a Crusader's sword. It's huge, actually, from uh, some straight to video film about crusaders and i've also got a wakizashi a little wakizashi which <laughs> I mean, Cap Brown bought me. yeah my little arsenal downstairs yeah i feel so good about someone in the office having an arsenal That's they are just... locked away safely i don't oh. carry them around to meetings right good good, good. Any i have other a news? small piece of news please do uh, about about three inches or so because this is refers to the lego batman steady steady ah, okay lego batman um, yes carry on perfectly innocent uh, bit of news so it's, it's just a little bit of wee casting news um, so Billy D. Williams will be in the Lego Batman movie yes. we already knew this but what we didn't know was that he will be playing Harvey Dent again aka <gasps> Two-Face well so he of course he played he played uh, Harvey Dent in yeah. the original Tim Burton Batman movie yeah um, but he never got to play Two-Face. He never no. became the villain. Because Schumacher recast Tommy Lee Jones. Exactly. He was due to play him in Batman Forever, but uh, then Schumacher replaced Tim Burton and he never got the chance. And now, you know, 20 or 30 year or so years on, yeah, he's finally realising that dream. Albeit in animated CGI, tiny Lego form. Yeah, 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 very, very, very. So a small role, then you're saying? I, yeah, I think I think they're all small roles in this movie, but um, yeah, okay, good, good, good. It's good news. I'm right? pleased for him. It's taken a while, but we got there. Yeah, deal is getting better all the time. <laughs> <laughs> also, this week saw the tragic passing of Ron Glass, aka Shepherd Book from Firefly and Serenity, yeah. which is something of a something of a blow. It was. I mean, he was only 71, which mm. in these day, this day and age is no age at all, um, and he's. 
um, yeah, he's going to be much missed. He'd, he'd been in, in ill health for, for several years, apparently, so he'd, he'd kind of stepped back a bit from, from acting and so on. But, um, I mean, I think a whole generation of geeks are going to miss him just for Firefly alone. Mm. Um, but he had a, a career spanning sort of, f- what, five decades, mm. four decades? Um, he was Emmy nominated in the 70s for his role in Barney Miller. Um, he appeared most recently, or most recently that most people have seen in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I, I saw him on TV, really, weirdly, last week in Lakeview Terrace with Samuel L. Jackson. And, and Kerry Washington, um, so he, you know, he'd been working just astonishingly steadily across kind of TV um, and uh, and film, and uh, and yeah, he he will be much missed. Um, another thing I was reading actually in in the obituaries and the tributes that were posted, he did a huge amount for his community. So after the the Rodney King trial, he kind of wanted to get involved and wanted to try and help, you know, change things for the better, and he got involved in. Um, uh, a Los Angeles charity called the Wooten Center, which helps uh, mentor and prepare for college um, sort of high school students. And he thought this was a great, great program. And he basically gave huge amounts of time and money to it. He was um, chairperson of it for like 12 years or something. Um, and apparently, and basically after he died, a lot of the, the Firefly cast and, and Joss Whedon suggested that donations be given to, to the Wooten Center in his name. So... Um, so yeah, so a good guy as well as a good actor, which is you know, mm. uh, a, he was a hell also of a in an episode tribute. of Star Trek Voyager. Well, there Hot you go, fact. bringing it bringing it all around again. That's right, full circle. Well done, him. So yeah, so um, so rest in peace, Ron Glass. Um, he will be missed. Okay, um, I think it's time for another guest, and we have another bleed for this star. Um, Aaron Eckhart is actually in not one but two films this week, um, since he's also the co-pilot in Sully. Uh, I'm still trying to see if it's only two. He may have a sneaky cameo in The Edge of Seventeen as one of the woolly hats or something, because he's that versatile. Um, He came into town recently, and we sent Phil along to speak to him. So have a listen. Listen, it's a real pleasure to welcome Aaron Eckhart back to the Empire Podcast. Thank, Thank you for you. coming, sir. Um, you're here this time to talk about Sully, mm. um, in which you play co-pilot Jeffrey Skiles. Mm. Uh, I have to ask how your flight over was in the context of the themes of the film. Well, it's, it's interesting because um, we took a private plane here. Okay. And on the plane was, of course, Tom Hanks, the big dog. <laughs> and then um, Sully and his wife. Oh, so it's been really interesting to getting to know, getting to know Sully. And yeah. he didn't fly the plane. No, um, we had other pilots, but he was um, uh, a lot. Uh, part of the time during the flight, he was up there. Yeah, you know, he's still fascinated by flying, and it's fascinating for me to ask him questions about the the actual flight, about um, uh, air travel in 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 general. Because he's fascinating, he's meticulous, um, it's his passion, um, he's very interesting. Do he and Tom have a, just a natural kind of chemistry now together, the pair of them? Or, oh yeah, or, yeah. he was you know, so involved in this movie from yeah. the script, you know, he would get the script and then you'd get it back and, and Tom talks about how there'd be a whole bunch of red marks over it and saying, no, this didn't really? happen and this <laughs> happened. Yeah. I mean, it is his story, you know, so he wants to get it right, he was very involved. Um, but at some point, um, you have to give over and say, you know, um, it's Clint's movie and, and Tom is, but Tom portrayed Sully so well. 
capturing his the subtleties of his behavior as well as his demeanor and his his particular point of view in life you know because Sully's very dry he talks sort of in a monotone and um, especially in that last speech that Tom gives you know to the National Transportation Safety Mm. Board it really is spot on yeah yeah very lovely understated performance Um, just going back to the whole plane thing I'm kind of interested in what it's like because it's quite as an actor you're on a plane and everybody's watching movies Mm. and some you're in some of them I'm assuming have you ever had that experience I had just the other day really what happened I was flying LA to New York and I was um, I guess uh, looking over at the gentleman uh, that was next to me and he was playing Any Given Sunday um, which I was at the Al Pacino Oliver Stone football movie yeah and um, it, okay so you say okay well what would you think about that Aaron and um, uh, what I thought was did he play that movie because I'm sitting next to him or first of all how was that movie on the plane second of all because it's such an older movie yeah um, well, it's a classic it's it a, classic. Be in a classic section yeah yeah um, yeah, I guess that was it. And um, and I found that interesting. So I started to kind of watch his television. <laughs> and I saw Al Pacino's speech in the locker room. And um, it's happened to me a few times. Uh, it happened to me with Olympus Has Fallen, where uh, the gentleman next to me, I'm pretty sure that he did it because I was sitting next to him and he wanted me to comment on it. Right. Which I did not do. No, 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 no. <laughs> Too much of a professional. I'd be pointing this way and going, look, it's me. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, the, the debate is whether Sully will be a plain movie because there are very few plane crash films that they show on on airplanes but there are the odd one and this well, you one you have to make the distinction it's not a plane crash plane it's land- a forced landing and it was successful one of the only water landings in the history of aviation that was ever successful um, so in that case I think it would be permissible to have that on the plane because it's such a story um, everybody obviously in America and I think around the world is familiar with this story we know how it ends um I, I don't know the answer to that. What, what would be your personal opinion? What, if it's going to be on? Well, it's a good news story. And like you say, I, in my faux pas, it's not a plane crash movie. It, it's a controlled landing on water movie. Um, probably the first. Um, if I were you, I would probably carry my Jeffrey Skiles uh, costume with me in case you're sitting next to someone watching it. I have Go a to the loo, come back. I keep in my yes. pocket at all times when I fly. Yes, I hope so. Your, must, your mustache has been, I mean, it's pretty much got its own Twitter feed. It's become something of a star of this film. It worked harder than I did. It's next door doing interviews right well, now. Well, you know, my mustache got so, um, you know, uh, entitled while we're making the film that it started to take Tom's lines and it wanted Tom's trailer and I had to beat it back. Demanding extra takes from Clint. Extra money. You know, I'm surprised. It's funny because I didn't think of it as being such a uh, ferocious mustache at the time, I guess. Um, But nobody said anything. I mean, the boss could have said, hey, why don't you trim that back or... um, but it really has gotten a lot of attention on Twitter. Tom, I mean, Sully's got one too, but there's very little mention. So, you know. Well, Tom had his under control. Yeah, okay. uh, it's funny about pilots and, 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 and police officers and firefighters. It's sort of the, the mustache is, a, yeah. it's a, a, you know, a sort of a calling card for them. But it's a sign of masculinity. And um, these guys all have dangerous jobs where they have to have uh, other people's lives in their hands. And. For some reason, the mustache, they identify with the mustache. It's great mustache acting. 
I think it got slightly pushier in times of crisis. I think that, and I'm I'm serious about this. I think that there will be a award show this year (laughs) that gives gives a special category for mustache uh, mustaches in movies, and I think I might win. I think you will. I think it's it's, it's absolutely, absolutely guaranteed. I would imagine. Um, One of the things that's very moving about this movie, and it really got me, was 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 during the the scene when you've when you've landed safely on the water, the, the the passengers and your characters there's this real sense of collaboration takes over and a, and a calm as well and um it doesn't it, it doesn't play out like like it does in movies where everybody's screaming and you know panicking yeah, it's very different people are they're obviously terrified but they're not is that is that how it would normally play yeah, is that that's a- very interesting i and i challenge everybody out there to whenever there is a disaster for example 911 or or an earthquake that's going on in italy and they just had one in, in new zealand um look around you and listen and watch and w- i think people are in shock and there's very little there's very little um audio going on you know um i think people in this instance were um of course scared but uh there was a sense of calm about it and people were not screaming and uh, it's protocol for those pilots. When he says, brace yourself, he doesn't say anything more than that. He doesn't want to create any more instability than, than is already mm-hmm. going on. He doesn't want to panic the, um, the passengers. And at the end, it was a very coordinated effort um, and it's all protocol. Yeah. They train for that. All that coordination that you're talking about between pilot, co-pilot, tower, um, flight attendants, it's all training. Yeah. It's uh, it's it is uh, it is emotional. It's very underplayed. Um, yeah. Everything is quite understated in this film. I mean, Sally in particular. He's mm-hmm. quite a reined-in character. Um, Jeffrey, your character, gets a lot of the comic relief moments. Yeah. Um, you get some great lines. There's one where he's asked if he would have done anything differently, and you said probably would have landed it in July <laughs> instead of actual, the winter. It, he said that. Yeah, yeah. he said that. Um, and I said to him, "How'd you say it?" And he goes, "Just like you." Really. Um, Soli is a very He's a very upright, meticulous, dry character. Very funny, but um, sort of a professor type guy. Yeah. And Jeff, um, just you know, by relation to him, was was a little looser than he was. So now, these guys didn't know each other. Hmm. Um, they were doing uh, uh, a journey or a, a flight plan of four flights, and they met, and this was the fourth of the of the four. And they had met on the first for the first time. So they really didn't know each other. They had to trust that each who had the proper training and, and um, that they were capable pilots. Yeah. Um, um, but uh, it's interesting. Everybody thinks that pilots know each other and there's this jocular yeah. sort of um, relationship between them. It wasn't that the truth at all. Getting you away from a real life person to someone that is not just fictional, but doesn't have a proper character name um you play truck stop patron in the wicker man <laughs> um can you tell me how much preparation went into playing truck stop patron yeah a zero. Zero. you didn't <laughs> i even... showed up that was neil's neil Lebut yes that and neil and i are friends from college we did in the company of men your friends and neighbors nurse betty together we did possession together and so neil at that point i had been in every single one of neil's films yeah and so he said aaron would you fly up to canada because it starred nick cage and would you be in the diner? And I don't even think Nick knew that I was going to be there. Um, so, and I think I'm actually in the film. Yeah. Um, if, is that on my credits? Yeah. Wow. Well, then I put a lot of preparation into it. You know, <laughs> I studied very, very hard. I don't even think I had a line. Um, but I've, I've, ne- I've not worked with Neil since then. 
that was a killer was it for your, for that, your collaboration you know I, well, well, well yeah i mean once you put me as an extra in a movie um yeah so you're happy to do that as a favor and oh yeah it was fun yeah i, I like that you know i love my, my relationship with neil um Plus, you know, interesting, you can do some interesting things with parts like that. It, you know, it's, it's, it gives you a license to do whatever you want. Not that I did anything in that movie, but um, it's, you know, you often see um, actors that are not credited or billed. Mm. Uh, and then you, it's just sort of a pleasant surprise when you see them. It's nice. It's and, really nice. Yeah. And when that usually happens, they're usually doing something different from, from how we um, know them, yeah. which is cool to see. Now, recently, we've seen a lot of presidential handover chat in the media. Mm-hmm. You're not coming back to play Benjamin Asher no. in uh, the fight in the next Angel Has Fallen the sequel. The president has been voted out of office. He's on the golf course. What is he going to tell the the, 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 the president-elect in that final? Because you've not had a great time. Uh, I would say, <laughs> I would say um, you know, things can get uh, dangerous, but you're in good hands. You right. Know, uh, it, that's funny. It'll be interesting how they... Um, and I, of course, I don't know anything about it. No, no, no. I'm not involved with it, but uh, it'll be interesting to how they do the handover if they make reference to president asher or not yeah um but he's had a pretty hard time of it he needs to go relax <laughs> it's gonna go to the funny form he definitely does very last question um we talked about the imdb credits there's nothing beyond bleed for this and sully for you yeah. is that are you, are you taking a breather or are you in negotiations no or? i've had uh all my movies in the can are out this year uh, i've not worked this year i've taken the first six months of this year to to do writing and to uh direct a movie so that's probably what I'll do. I don't know if it's the next thing that I'll do, but it's what I'm going to do next year for sure. Is it too early to talk about that project? Uh, yeah, I think so. Um, I think that I have the movie, but I'm not sure. Um, but it'll be it'll be a down and dirty small movie based on performances. I really want to work with actors and see if I can uh, tell a story. Looking forward to hearing more about that one. Arunaka, thank you very much. Uh, safe, safe trip home, I guess, for both of us. <laughs> Thanks very much. Thank you. Okay, it's movie reviews time now. And first up is my favourite. Um, I mean, we have no favourites here, but if we did, it would be the one starring The Rock with music by Lin-Manuel Miranda and direction from the guys who made The Little Mermaid. But of course, we don't have favourites. No sorry. So, so let's talk completely objectively about Moana and how great it is. Yeah, so this is Disney's Moana. This is the latest film from Walt Disney Animation Studios, which is the animated arm of The, the Mouse House. Uh, and this is a film set in the Pacific Islands. So we have uh, Aulia Cravalo, who's a, a newcomer mm-hmm. um, from Hawaii, who plays the, the title uh, character, which is Moana. So she's a sort of teenage girl living in a Pacific Island tribe. And she's sort of being groomed to become the tribal leader. Yeah. Um, and she, it's a fairly idyllic life. She lives in this beautiful tropical paradise, um, but she dreams of, of escaping, of traveling the seas, of living up to her ancestors. So her slightly eccentric grandma sets her on this journey to uh, find the demigod Maui, who is this fantastic demigod played by Dwayne The Rock Johnson, your um, close personal friend. Close personal friend. <laughs> I call him DJ. I mean, that's just the thing we have. Uh, to 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 find the heart of the ocean and uh, from Titanic. 
No, it's, no. no. It's, it's the it's heart of the, Tefiti, actually. The heart of Tefiti. That, who, who's like the sort of the Gaia, the Earth goddess. Oh, okay. Yeah. Good, good. Um, and uh, restore life to the, to the islands. Um, and so she sort of sets off on this exciting journey with, with, a, with her lovable sidekick, Hey Hey, who is a, a sort of ridiculous chicken voiced by Alan Tudyuk which I think is just wonderful that there's yeah. a great video I saw actually uh, on Twitter this is a slight <laughs> sidebar yeah. um, of Alan Tudyuk recording his lines as a chicken and he is just literally in a recording studio going bah! Bah! you know and then, and, and then he turns to the camera he, and says I went to Juilliard exactly <laughs> <laughs> so it's not a speaking role it's a clucking role he, he also has a it's, very small role elsewhere just because he's Disney's good luck charm not. Right. he's actually in all the Disney animated films in recent yeah. years but he, yeah <laughs> there's no talking it is just I mean they could have got anyone and they got A-list style into which is really good so anyway yes uh, Moana um, Maui and Hey Hey go on this magical journey together they meet a few colourful characters along the way they sing a few songs they have a merry dance um, it's it's. I guess it's a Disney movie in the sort of classic mould it's a, it's a musical yeah and um, it's an adventure as well it's very much an adventure and there's lots of sort of you know there's some sort of classical Disney lessons learnt along the way there's a lot of a, a big theme is about understanding who you you are and being true yeah. to yourself I suppose and I think as well it is a step forward for Disney animated kind of quote unquote princess movies I mean there's even a mm. joke about it being a princess movie in this one because um I think uh, Maui calls Moana a princess and she goes, what are you talking about? I'm not a princess. And he goes, you're a chieftain's daughter and you have your cute animal sidekick. You're a princess. <laughs> you know, and they're kind of making fun a little bit of their own um, their own cliches, if you like. Mm. Um, but I think what's clever is they actually undermine a lot of those. This is not a film with a castle and a prince. There is, in fact, zero love interest at all. Um, I mean, the, the directors compared the relationship between Maui and Moana to True Grit and it's actually a really really <laughs> good um, model you've got this kind of grumpy guy who wants no part of this teenage girl who's annoying him and uh, and yet they kind of get stuck together on this quest and he has to you know help he ends up having to work with her and help her in her ends and I think it's um it's a really it's really nice to see and I think what's also impressive is I think in some Disney films you would have felt the lack of a love interest really badly um, but in this one it just it kind of works and it cause just because it isn't about that it's a it's a different adventure movie it's more it's got more sort of a an explorer's heart than a sort of a you know romantic love heart yeah. kind of a thing and I think that's that's really really good um, Moana's just a great character really really beautiful piece of character work um, I, I think Ali I if you've seen the video there's a super cute video online of her getting the part and she's yeah. like a 14 year old and she's you know she gets this this opportunity and it's it's absolutely adorable but she's also a heck of a singer she gives Moana a real kind of edge and you know the Disney team animate her in a, in a beautiful way they don't make her another skinny template um, Disney princess because honestly if you take Tangled Frozen um, even the princess and the frog and sort of put them next to each other like they blend into each other one after the other they've got exactly the same shape of face and she's Mer a little bit Merida different is my favourite well but she's Pixar not Disney well that's true Speaking of with this, with this is a Disney. So is this is this the new Frozen? Is this going to capture the hearts and minds and drive parents insane for months and months? I mean, I think the songs are, if anything, catchier, which is quite impressive. It's funny the because um, the, the songs, as you say, are by Lin Manuel Miranda. Yeah. When when I first saw it, I was like, 
I, I don't think the songs are that memorable. I wasn't that 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 into it. A week later, away away. It's amazing how they just sort of bury into your brain. They are. They I are have not stopped there. listening to this soundtrack. Yeah. It's incredibly good. Uh, and if you honestly, I'm just as an advert here. I got the extra long soundtrack with the extra oh, Lin-Manuel wow. Miranda outtakes. Of course you did. Even his even his rejected songs are catchier than 90% of what's in the top 40. It's unbelievable. <laughs> well, I should put a, a really big shout out to uh, Jermaine Clement's song as well. Shiny. Shiny, which is just so good. And I mean, Jermaine Clement plays a, a sort of giant crab yes, who lives is, under the sea. And he's covered his back in, in shiny in things. Gold, yeah. yes. Uh, and he has a sort of David Bowie-esque song which is just tremendous um, and I actually came out of the film wondering if that was a Flight of the Concord song essentially mm. if, if Clements had written that himself um, but it was actually Lin-Manuel Miranda in the style of Concords who he's a big fan of oh, wow. and who he actually at one point toured with as part of his freestyle rap collective so um, it's it's unbelievable if you like Bowie the, the Flight of the Concord song as opposed to the singer yeah. um, you will love Shiny it's mm. amazing you have convinced me to go and see this film honestly I don't understand how you haven't already I have seen nothing that is out this week I have not been to the cinema in the last week and I have seen absolutely nothing so I am of no use to you for the well, rest of the podcast thanks for, thanks for joining us James yeah. uh, wonderful to have you uh, <laughs> but uh, but yeah I mean I, I really can't fault Moana. I, I absolutely loved it. Um, Empire gave it four stars, which is very much a recommendation. Yeah, indeed. Okay, next up, uh, we've kind of touched on True Grit, which brings me to Haley Steinfeld, which of course brings me to an already out and very much admired teen drama this week, The Edge of Seventeen. John, what can you tell us about this one? Yes, so uh, this is, as you say, a teen comedy drama. Haley Steinfeld plays uh, a girl called Nadine. Um, who sort of feels like a bit of an outsider. She uh, considers herself an old soul. She has only one friend, her, her best friend. Her world starts to sort of fall apart when her best friend starts dating her brother, her brother who she resents, who she sees as having a sort of charmed life. Their father died a few years previous and she feels that he's um, dealt with it a lot easier and he's a lot more sort of secure about that that whole situation. So, so when, uh, when her brother starts dating a best friend she basically assumes her world is over her life is falling apart and the film opens with this amazing scene in which she goes to her teacher who played by Woody Harrelson who is very much the highlight of this movie and just says I'm going to kill myself um, which is kind of shocking and and Woody Harrelson's response is absolutely brilliant he just says well yeah but I'm, I'm gonna do it as well so you know that's not it's not a big deal. His, Woody Harrelson plays this sort of very laconic, uh, very sarcastic teacher. It's funny. This is a, this is not the sort of film that um, perhaps would be targeted to someone like me. I'm not a teenage girl. Um, no. Well, are you though? We can't be sure. I mean, with a bit of CGI help, I'm sure <laughs> that could that could work. Um, it's interesting in that it sort of tries to avoid the genre cliches. I mean, this is. You know, teen comedies is something we've seen a lot, and you know there there are plenty of tropes that they could use, but there's no there's no prom in this movie. There's no there's no bullies. There's no cruel teachers. 
Um, it's it's a very sort of uh, it's a, it's a more thoughtful character study, and it's it's genuinely funny. It's also quite sort of filthily funny. There's some there's some uh, slightly more risque humour than you might expect from a teen comedy, uh, which I think is more accurate. I mean, when you're when you're 17, you are just thinking about sex, and you are just you've got a mouth like a sailor. Uh, so it feels <laughs> like a much more honest portrayal of teenagers than we might have seen from from Hollywood in recent years. Uh, and it's all anchored by this brilliant performance by Hayley Steinfeld, who, you know, has, has already established herself as mm. being quite an impressive force. I mean, uh, James, I'm sure you're a fan of her pop music. Seeing oh, as you- oh, oh, yes. And all pop music, obviously. I know, I have no <laughs> idea. She's very, very good. I mean, I'm not a huge Enders Game fan, but everything else she's pretty much done has been reasonably outstanding yeah. it will come as no surprise to Helen to know that I really want to see this film <laughs> <laughs> I've always said it you're a teenage girl at heart yeah no she, she is excellent um, and there are you know excellent performances across the boards uh, yeah as I said Woody Harrelson very much steals the show just sort of with his dry wit um, and just sort of withering looks there are occasional cliches um, it does sort of end on slightly happier note than than I would have hoped maybe I'm just being a bit cynical um, oh, you monster my, my teenagehood was was you know full of misery and, and grief so I top, top three teen movies oh god uh, Breakfast Club ah oh, wrong wrong <laughs> <laughs> I think they're all John Hughes movies Breakfast Club 16 Candles oh, let's, wrong what <laughs> it, see if you're picking John Hughes movies you're picking the wrong ones um, yeah what, Home Alone Ferris Bueller. The reason I throw this at you is because Anne Hathaway once called me on this when I interviewed her for Interstellar. Uh, in fact, Helen was in the room. Weren't you in the room? I and think we, so, yeah. We, we, yeah. We, we did it together. And uh, she was said she was doing a, uh, she was doing a Taming of the Shrew thing. And I said, oh, 10 Things I Hate About You is one of my favourite team movies. She went, uh-huh, yeah. And what are your favourite team movies? I said, well, I really like Clueless. And I'm a big fan of Ferris Bueller's <laughs> And she kind of looked at me because she really thought that I was just... You know, I was like, no, I, I no, you, you like really do like this yeah. stuff. Clueless is Clueless is a solid shout, and Mean Girls should be up there as yes, well. Yes, definitely, that's fantastic. Yeah. Oh, John's wrinkling his nose. Sixteen candles. Honestly, 16 what's wrong with you? You're basically candles. a teenager. Basically, yourself. got date rape in it. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> anyway, so I just anyway, seventeen. Just 17. Uh, I think you know. I, th- I think uh, this this has definitely got the chops to uh, rub shoulders with the best of them in the teen comedy genre. So, so we, how many candles did we give this one? We gave this four stars, ah. not candles. Ah. Four stars. Uh, it, it, it is very good. I I maybe go slightly lower because. Hate just, all things. Just because I'm not in the target audience, um, but it is, it, it does sort of slightly elevate itself above the genre cliches. Okay. All right. Um, this is a really busy week. Mm-hmm. Uh, the film we've already touched on, of course, with our two interviews, director Ben Younger, uh, bringing us Bleed for this, um, which was uh, one of Empire's films at this year's uh, London Film Festival. Um, and so, yeah, as I said before, this is the true life story of Vinnie Pazienza, or Paz, um, who was already a world champion boxer at junior middleweight level, and then he broke his neck and struggled back to form uh, to fight again. So... It's a little bit of a twist on the usual boxing movie, I guess, just because of that sort of horrendous injury in the middle of it. Um, and it adds just another sort of leg to the to the underdog element of, of Finney's career. Um, it's also just a, re- a film just packed with really 
interesting characters. Vinny himself is just so incredibly stubborn and driven. Um, and then you have his extremely colourful family, led by his father, who's played by Kieran Hines, as you have literally never seen him before. Um, all sort of, you know, blonde tips and slick back hair and gold chains and, and all the rest. Um, and I think what it does quite well is it gets into the sort of the... Um, the showmanship, I guess, of, of boxing and that sort of that, you know, it, it opens with, a, I think, a, as I remember, a, a pre-match press conference and that kind of showing off and that kind of like squaring up to the other guy. And I think there's a lot of that sort of um, swagger uh, to it, which is which is kind of cool to see. And then Aaron Eckhart, at the other end of the scale, he's the kind of the workman-like, rather washed up trainer when we first meet him, um, who, who has to kind of... Uh, lead Vinny first of all he, he starts training him before the accent but then he kind of leads him back um, afterwards and, and that's a heck of a heck of a journey as well uh, Ben Younger the, the director I interviewed him a, a couple of months ago and he said that he was he showed this obviously to some other producers and directors and friends of his in Hollywood before before release and he showed it to one director who'd worked with Aaron Eckhart and didn't recognise him for mm. like the first 15 minutes same, of the film. Right? Same, I, I, It took me so long before I realised who I was looking at. Mm. It's unbelievable. I mean, yeah. this is a physical transformation. It really is. Unlike no other. Um, what, what was really funny is apparently, so Aaron Eckhart actually had to put on the weight. I mean, he mm. put on huge amounts of, he ate like a trooper for this role. Uh, and another actor in the film did not and wore a fat suit and uh, I think he was slightly bitter about it oh. <laughs> <laughs> poor guy but it was yeah. worth it I mean you know, there's been a lot of Oscar talk about him yeah. in particular um, and I think he probably will be nominated it's hard to say at this point we haven't seen all of the all of the likely films yet. Silence, of course, is yet to screen, and that's likely to be a heavyweight. But um, but certainly, it's it's an it's an impressive, impressive performance from him, and a ver- another very good turn from Miles Teller, further putting Fantastic Four in his re- rearview mirror and uh, moving back to something like Whiplash form. So we give mm. this four stars, which is of course a recommendation. Um, and we're still going. <laughs> We've only done one of Aaron Eckhart's films, or possibly two, if he is a woolly hat, um, and we haven't even reached the Tom Hanks. Clint Eastwood part of the broadcast so what can you tell me about Sully yes Sully well to give it its official title in this country Sully colon miracle on the Hudson Mm. uh, which you know it's not really as snappy as just Sully (laughs) is it maybe there's worried about a confusion with Monsters Inc but yes this is Sully colon miracle on the Hudson which is about as that subtitle hints it's about the event which took which took place in New York a few years ago uh, when a plane hit a flock of geese uh, while flying out of New York uh, and had to make an emergency landing on the Hudson River, which is the river right Mm -hmm. next to Manhattan. Um, And there were no deaths and only minor injuries. Um, It could have been, you know, a horrific accident and it turned out to be a miracle. And it's all thanks largely to the... um, Tom Hanks. To Tom Hanks, to the incredible piloting work of Tom Hanks. No, it's, it's the incredible piloting work of... Chelsea Sully Sullenberger who Tom Hanks plays um, with a sort of magisterial calm and, and grace and uh, magisterial moustache as well we oh, should yeah. say it's impressive I mean that's Sam Elliott levels of moustache my work. goodness yeah, I mean he really pulls it off uh, so yes Clint Eastwood is basically directing a, a true life story um, about this extraordinary event this incredible act of you know just sheer professionalism in the face of adversity and 
it's an interesting one because you know the event itself it all happens in the space of five minutes Mm. I mean the crash you know it's it's incredible how quickly it it, it happens they literally they take off and they're minutes out of New York they hit these birds and they're they're down and they have to make this 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 snap decision and so Clint Eastwood is sort of faced with a bit of a dilemma about how you turn a five minute event into a 90 minute movie and his approach it's an interesting one so we see the crash happen maybe two or three times with the first time we see it the first thing we see in fact we see the plane going down um, and then it hits a building in New York and crashes and then we realise it's one of uh, Sully's you know dreams his nightmares essentially Uh. Uh, and then we see it from different perspectives throughout the movie, um, interspersed with the sort of the aftermath, the reaction. Sully is brought before the um, the NTSB, the National Transportation Safety Board, who um, determined that he acted recklessly, that he should have tried to land the plane at a nearby airport where he, you know, he could have salvaged the plane. And it's almost like a court case in some ways. There's lots of scenes where he's just having to defend himself, he's having to draw on his ex- own experience. We, um, we see a couple of flashbacks early in his life showing you know, he has 40 years of aviation experience. Uh, some of the flashbacks perhaps don't add in, add much. You see him as a young man, which which don't really um, add add a huge amount to it. And you know there are some times when you do wonder whether the, the, uh, there has been a little bit of controversy since the film's been released about whether it paints the NT, NTSB in a in a poor light. I mean they they are it, it does seem like a strange motivation to uh, be angry at a pilot for saving hundreds of lives potentially thousands of lives yeah um you know it's 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 very hard to paint this heroic act in a bad light and it's very hard to to paint sully as anything other than a hero um so you know some of those scenes seems feel a little bit contrived but what is very good is is how sully reacts to this sudden fame and and attention that he receives Mm. um and tom hanks and aaron eckhart who plays his co-pilot um, do a fantastic job of of just being these sort of very quiet, very professional men suddenly being thrust into the limelight and not really sure how to deal with it. You know, it's another amazingly sort of subtle performance from Hanks. His facial expressions are so sort of subtle and, and measured. I mean, I could just look at him all day. He's, he is great, isn't he? He is so good. He's America's dad. He very much uh, makes the film. The crash scenes are fantastically well shot. They're, they're really gripping and tense. Um, Ollie Richardson in his review said, for God's sake, don't watch it on a plane. I would actually say I wouldn't mind watching this on a plane because it kind of shows how professional and, you know... In control. In yeah. control. Every, yeah. Everyone right down to the cabin crew just and, you know, the people on the boats. I mean, it, it was all amazing how the emergency services came together. Yeah. Gave you a lot of faith. Um, and we should give a word as well then to to Aaron Eckhart's moustache which is also impressive it is I mean, I mean it's it's a little bushier than Tom Hanks wow. so um, you know if you like your moustaches <laughs> thick and girthsome then good lord then perhaps <laughs> Eckhart is for you um, so yes I mean it, it is it, it's it's a sort of slightly mixed bag it's a, it's um you know, there are parts of it where it does seem to falter and feel a little contrived, but it is an impressive uh, feat nonetheless. And mm. we gave this three stars, which, as we always say, is, is a, recommendation. a recommendation. Yeah. Um, uh, our final film this week is uh, Shirak, which is the new one from Spike Lee. And it's, uh, of course, I think, as we all know, it's, a, it's an update of the Greek play uh, Lysistrata. 
You know. Well, yes, obviously. I mean, obviously, it's, pre- it's pretty obvious. Um, but no, it's it's a, a fascinating, fascinating film, actually. It's uh, the streets of Chicago are riven by a gang war, and the girlfriend of one of the gang leaders in the community leads the women of the community, and they decide there's only one way to stop this. They're going to withhold all sexual favours until the men stop fighting. Uh, so that wow. is the basic premise of the film. But what's interesting about this is it's done in a sort of kind of loosely rhyming kind of a verse. So, it's you know, there's a little bit of a hint of Shakespeare there. There's a little bit of a hint of classic drama, but there's also just kind of freestyle rap, um, sort of a, a feel to it. Um, incredible, incredible cast. Um, Tiona Paris leads leads the way as, as sort of Liz Estrada herself and she is phenomenally good in this um, I mean she's up against Angela Bassett sometimes and she's holding her own against Angela Bassett which is no mean feat you've got uh, John Cusack in there as well you've got Samuel L. Jackson um, and you've got you know Spike Lee himself I think on the best form he's been in in years really really just ideas coming out of him almost faster than he can kind of cope with um, and we give this four stars so if you can get to see Shirak this weekend it's highly recommended but it's I mean it's a heck of a week that's that's what four four star films and one three star film mm. um, so uh, just go to the cinema basically and see Moana I mean one of them um, <laughs> that's fine and that's it for this week's Empire Podcast uh, so do join us next week for more film related fun when I believe we'll be joined by Oliver Stone mm-hmm. who will be sitting back and to the left of the microphone that's back <laughs> and to the left until then, it's goodbye from John. Goodbye. Goodbye from James. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to add John in post-production. <laughs>